I'll give you I'll give you a future example of one of the projects that we're looking at. Um, in New York City, there's a there's an unprecedented amount of homelessness. Right, it's mm -hmm. just actually never been as bad in the last like 40 years as it is right now. Uh, there are several databases that indicate homelessness is about to happen to a family. There's a, you've had a child service visit, you've had a, a criminal record, you've gotten lost your unemployment, and if you combine those all together and you see a density of three or four of those activities, it's likely you're going to be ejected from your home in 60 days or so. Mm -hmm. The cost to save somebody at that point versus the cost to get them off the street and find a way is like a hundredth, right? So if someone can put that data together and actually say, you know what, go by to this guy's house and give him rent for a month, will totally change his life, but it's just a matter of doing that sort of evil stuff that some companies do, but for the purpose of actually helping people out, right? And the same thing happens, it's a little more grotesque, which is why I don't use the example, but there are those similar parallels in, in human slavery, right? Like, once you connect the data of, you know, trafficking on borderlines, criminal records and prosecutions in state nearbys, it helps better inform the uh, losing country that's losing population to slavery, how much is actually happening. Big data. Big data is everywhere. What you guys are effectively doing is big data, yeah. right? Or big data for small people, let's say. Or small companies. Small companies, yeah, right? Yeah, it's small, medium businesses. Yeah. Um, my question is, are, are we, has big data become the, the new kind of buzzword that, you know, now that Nate Silver can seemingly predict anything except for the Super Bowl, you know, are, are we almost, has this become the new mantra of, of like the new dot com, you know, you mean a semantic web and you sort of brand? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, we, in this, we're, we're obviously drinking the Kool-Aid. We believe that data is the next big curve. We think that uh, social uh, search... Actually, you have the numbers to do. Uh, there are a lot of numbers to substantiate it, right? Like the, the human contribution information is multiplying. There's just more information around, and people are getting further and further detached. And we started this company, we looked at... Enterprise companies as well as individual companies, the enterprises that are using data are terrifying. Right? They're finding out when you run out of calories in your body to stick you with bad food. They're uh, mapping when we're going to go to war by watching the tweet streams out of military bases. They're doing all sorts of really wacky April stuff. April 2015. So I think that our hope is that we can take that big issue and make it uh, something that humans can start to leverage. Right? So take big data and make it something that's consumer, almost consumer oriented, small businesses to start with. Um, but it's going to be a, it is going to be a big category. The term big data sucks because it's almost like framing a problem. It's like, oh, it's a big problem. That's not really a useful term for it. But the idea behind it is real. You're effectively, let's just explain to, to everyone what someone sure. is. You know, like you're not just pulling, you know, oh, how many Instagram likes you have or, or what have you. Um, tell me how this works for the average small business or medium-sized business. Uh, so for our customers, the first we don't require an engineering process or a degree in mathematics to make sense of it. So a customer comes in, say they're an average store, they link in their Braintree or Authorize or Shopify account. So the big first win for them is to actually see the data that's sitting in a cloud somewhere that they've created, they don't have access to. Right? Our discovery is once you talk to those services through their APIs, they're only presenting 5-10% of the data back to the customer. So we give them a really cool experience to see the data. And then we allow them to put other data sets against it and start to make um, comparisons. We have, so in a way, we're small data in how those individual customers can see it. We have an ungodly amount of data in our environment now. We've been in a very fast growth trajectory. We have a quarter trillion visits. So if you think how many unique visits the sites have, we're managing a quarter trillion of them right now um, across all our customers and billions of dollars in revenue, um, tens of billions of social likes and whatnot. It's become a very big 
big cloud, and we're starting to see patterns across all customers, we can start to push back to customers and inside of their own customers. Mm -hmm. Are people effectively creating their own meaning out of these numbers then? I don't think so. I actually think that, that people are more detached from your data than, at least that's from our experience, right? They're, they get a gut feel, I'm selling more, inventory's moving, but, or I have a lot of people on my site, they really don't see any of those correlations. And watching spikes, they don't have to be giant spikes, but even little spikes, a day spike, and seeing what was a tie through is really valuable. And it's kind of the level that people are starting to get hold of, right? The deeper stuff's to come for all of us. You can optimize your own life if you see your own data. Um, it's real, right? And much less the business, everything else. It just needs enough actual fuel to, to work. Uh, so everything's data, right? At least that's our perspective. The whole world is just information and data. Well, but, but there's also wrong data, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tons of it. Um, and in these kind of industries, it's really hard, or issues, it's hard to actually get to the accurate data. Mm -hmm. um, but what we want to do is. You know, each of these individual nonprofits, and we've spoken to most of them in this category, and there's some amazing groups out there, but they're looking at one isolated aspect, right? They're looking at a, a child slavery in a single country that's trying to affect one thing. And very few people are taking an overall view of an issue and trying to broadcast out what that looks like. So our mission for the foundation at the front was just to use the same DNA that we have in start, the idea of taking uh, really senior folks who are being a startup culture and applying a data methodology to the nonprofit world and looking at different issues and trying to eliminate them. This is sort of our first uh, throw the hat into the ring, so to speak. Sure. Um, and now, how has that illuminated both you know, your non-charitable work and, and then obviously when you're pursuing this in the future, how, how has it changed what, what you anticipated it was going to be? Uh, so it doesn't do much for the, the dot-com side, except that it's, it's been surprisingly good for recruiting. Mm -hmm. right? So the fact that we have uh, uh, such a cultural bent to us, it's so hard. We, when people come in, we offer them shares and they have to give back a thousand shares or 10%, whatever the equation is, into the nonprofit, and that sort of pre qualifies a certain kind of human. So the, there's almost like a tithing element. Yeah, there is. Like like Mormon to, church. Right, right, right. right. Mormon dots for it. It's a scary kind of way of putting it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I won't use that in the future. But I, I, I won't call you Mitt. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been it's been good for the business in that perspective, um, but we think that that data itself is something that's changing the landscape. that's changing, mm -hmm. and we think that energy by trying to do directed good is really powerful right now. No. Um, so then, I mean, so using that as an example, like this issue of human trafficking. I mean, were you actually able to gain insights by by kind of aggregating all this data by actually crunching all these numbers? Were you actually able to gain insight into, or new insights that that difference, people who are invested in parochial issues, like in Thailand alone or something like that, were not able to gain? Uh, yeah, so we came up with a few numbers that are being used by the other organizations now. Um, we found things that were just data relations that people hadn't really expressed. So uh, a cow is worth five times the value of a human in most places in Africa. Um, the trafficker makes three times the amount of money that the parents who sell slaves do in China or in Asia. Um, so a lot of people didn't look at the data across borders and understand the equation by which discounts are working. So, but most of the work we've done is we give back our data to the nonprofits that help us supply it, and then we tried to and have some success. We had uh, 400 hits in the last few days just from a lot of media sources on our infographic. Now you to say, here's a relative state of what's happening. That's just our first topic. Though. Our hope is to is to grapple a lot of other things and do the same sure. kind of uh, illumination. Absolutely, fantastic. So now let's dive into today. Um, it's so much better than this.
Human trafficking? Um, okay. It's not that dark. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so now, tell me about SenseNet, which you founded, I, I know we're going back to 18, when you were 18. Yep. Um, so, what is that? Four years ago. Um, nice. Sorry, I apologize. Um, founded when you were 18. And, and it was kind of a telecom move. Tell me about what, what that was. Uh, so the, we were in um, uh, the beginning of the whole internet. So before that, there was actually modems, there was BBSs, uh, there was a software called First Class. I was very young, I was working at, or I was lucky enough to run an ad agency, which I started earlier in my life. Um, so I wanted to get out of that and actually get into technology. Pure technology. And so, so you wanted to make a career move at 17. You were saying, I need to get out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were like a Don Draper. You were a 17 year old Don Draper. I did it for three years. That was a long time. I was killing you. Your marriage was suffering. It was a little awkward with girls back then. So, yeah, I guess freeing myself in the ad world. Uh, right. Created a bulletin board system, and uh, sort of the early prize we got was we were in the first issue of Wired, and it said that we would beat AOL, which didn't work out. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> they beat myself. Yeah. yeah, I guess in a way we might have won. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you have this idea that you want to run bulletin board services, and this kind of it explain to yeah. me, where, you know, where does this idea come from, and and just the, the sheer logistics of being an 18-year-old. You can't rent a car, but apparently you're, you're kind of. She can't wait for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Really exactly, but you're monopolizing all of the, the, the kind of yep. the phone lines on the yeah. Upper West Side. So, so you just tell me a little bit more about how that happened. Uh, so um, I think I fell into that business because I was part of a hacker community, which mm -hmm. was uh, sort of the 2600 community. We would meet in the uh, city court building and talk about hacking. Um, and the FBI agents would walk around and watch us because there's only like 20 people in the community at that point in time. Yeah. And there was a new user group called Nymug, which anyone remembers. But whatever. It was a big user group. It had a bulletin board. People were paying it 40 bucks a month to be part of the community. And I figured it was a it was a nice way to get a footprint and build something. Um, so I started it off uh, just sort of blindly, uh, all the hardware and figured it out. One that it took me a it while to figure out how to pronounce it. That I guess it's I insure, I E N S U R. I insure, yeah. But I, I kept thinking it was like a diphthong or something. Um, <laughs> like, so your day, your stuff dot com, forum dot com. So 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 effectively, you kind of started just buying domains and building companies. Effectively, you might have been the cheddar dot com kind of. Oh, I wrote cheddar. I wrote the way. Yeah, sure. Got it. We we your day. We raised. Uh, money and sold the company all within, I think, 90 days. Um, and it ended up being worth, it ended by getting nothing out of the end, but it rose up to 70 million and then went down to nothing. And we raised, like, on a 10 million to start with. Uh, and it was very clever. We hired a supermodel, we put her in a nice tight t shirt, and we put a calendar, which was the predecessor to Google Calendar, like, everybody should use it, and that was. So you were like the go daddy of, of self Sorry. You build a guy up, you know, you fuel him. <laughs> so what was your day? I mean, for example, your day. What was that? Uh, so the, our main company at that time, Sensei, was had built the intranet, which was a term that was now gone, um, a tool set, and one of the components was a calendar system, so people could schedule themselves. We made that a public service, which was before a Google Calendar, yeah. and we thought that everybody would schedule their, their stuff online. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it was way too early. 
And to get visibility, we did all sorts of gimmicky tricks in the supermodel. Supermodel, for example. We got lots of celebrities to do um, uh, phone calls. So we'd like Cindy Crawford, she would yeah. wake you up in, in the morning. She was the, like, we set an alarm, she'd ring you and say, get up out of bed. Right, so I'm trying to imagine, like, what, like, Fred Durst? I'm trying to imagine other celebrities <laughs> of the era, where I've been kind of era. But so, so effectively, so I, I mean, you can say it's, it's, it's almost as if, if the, the kind of the corporate environment almost said to you, oh, you suffer from ADD, well, welcome to the club and, and, and found as much as you want and do as much as you want and raise as much as you want. It was, sure. it was a kind of a Willy Wonka kind of thing going on. Yeah, there was no bar. You just had to yeah. say you Except for the, the bars that you opened. Tell right. me about those. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was a great way to meet girls when you were young. Um, yeah. Whatever, yeah. Well, that's a <laughs> 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 different chapter in life. You probably got to do a point there. Sure. Tourist plumped in isn't, yeah. Okay. I had, so, a, I had an excuse. I rationalized it to my partners and the investors that I need to get in touch with customers again. I was selling digitally through this you know, interface. Like, reality. I want to shake people's hands and see what was going yeah, on. You're in the matrix. Too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and they bought it, and, and, and it was very easy to do those stuff then, too. The, the so laws it, were much more. Was it, was it one bar in Manhattan? or I ended up having two bars in Manhattan. And, uh, Nightclub in Manhattan, and I had a bar out in Williamsburg before when Williamsburg started out. Cokies? What's in Cokies? No, Cokies okay. was actually fun, though. Oh, okay. I've never been to Cokies. I've never heard of Cokies. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, tell me, what, are the, what were the names of the bars? Uh, Recess was uh, on Spring Street, and then we had uh, 386 Spring Street, 187 Barrack Street, and then Recess was the one that was out, in, uh, sorry, Fix was the one that was out in Brooklyn, um, which then turned to Sound Fix. Um, I Got it. Um, and so, it's it's almost like one of those things that, that you know when you're young you say oh let's put on the band like let's let's sort of band that that's over the bar but you have all this disposable income because you know you're you've got Cindy Crawford working for you and and, and whatnot. Doing doing it. She's waking you up. Yes. Um, so not me unfortunately. Um, so I mean this truly seems like a, a recipe for disaster. Um, was it at least fun? That was a blast. <laughs> yeah, it was totally awesome. All right. Uh, yeah. How, how long did the, the kind of the, the nightlife scene last? Like, the, the, you know, how long could you actually pursue that? Because obviously, what people don't really seem to appreciate when they say, "Oh, I want to open a restaurant," or "I want to open a bar," you have to be there all the time, right? Uh, if you want to really work. Well, well, yeah, got it. And, and that's <laughs> and why we're not all going to recess after work. Well, I mean, that one worked really well, huh? um, but the ones later, which I had less attention for, didn't mm -hmm. work as well. Um, I think that it was also the, the climate at that point was much more, much more about going out and getting uh, messed up. It was, it was a little more vibrant because the laws were very different. Mm -hmm. Was this, let's say, late Giuliani? This was pre-Giuliani, and Giuliani came, and he was, he was although it was a different lens back, but there was a very Hitlerish energy assigned to him from the night the scene, because he really cracked down on uh, that culture. Yes. He got to feel much harder. Like Hitler did. Not exactly, no. <laughs> but there were, there were things that were very draconian. Uh, you had trucks that go around and pick up people off the street if you didn't fit and should get out of town, and you did some things in the beginning that were uh, got it. rough. So, so, I mean, was it both the climate and, I mean, like, why aren't you, why are we speaking to you as, as kind of the Andre Balaz now? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, why did you choose effectively to say, okay, I, I'm part of two bubbles, right? This nightlife bubble, this, this dot yeah. bubble, 
why did you end up pursuing the, the kind of dot com side instead of saying, okay, I'm going to embrace this this you know nightlife side? Oh, I don't think I ever fully developed this side of me. It's more just uh, an aspect of sort of service and mental derangement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that that when I lost that, that wasn't as impactful. We got. Did you meet girls? I. Uh, yeah. No, you uh, definitely uh, you see very strange things in the. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's my memory. So yeah, the uh, I think the big thing that happened is we were caught up in that wave. Our main company had gotten ready to go public, and then the market crashed. I'm sorry, so, so, so Sensei was going public, or what was Sensei was getting ready to go public. Okay, got yeah. it. And so, and so this is, this is what, 99, let's say, or? Uh, this was 2000. It was 2000, 2000. So, so, so really right before. Yeah, right before the development. Yeah, Tulip Mania died. It was a rough year for much of us in the industry. Because mm. uh, actually, across the board, just New York really had the advertising sector, finance sector, and the internet sector all got sort of obliterated at the same time. Yeah. So it was very hard, and we depend on a lot of those sales. Our sales drop, and business issues. Um, we got sued for being really sloppy with details a bunch of times. Um, and then we got hit with 9-11, uh, and our, our business is below the barrier, so we got closed down for months. Oh, well, okay, um, got it. It was a, it was a rough uh, period for a lot of folks, and it was rough for us. Yeah. And I decided that it would probably be better to, because uh, uh, of all the baggage we accumulated, to hit a reset button, um, mm -hmm. which turned out to be a lie to my own psyche, thinking that, that I could escape this stuff, which yeah. obviously didn't end up working out right, um, which was one of the more painful or growth experiences, I guess you could refer to as. We closed it all down, sold most everything. I think all my assets up, went, learned to fly planes, picked up more of my scuba diving addictions. Um, then I came back, I guess it was like a year later, I'm like, all right, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. Let me uh, spend my investing dollars. Oh, so, so effectively, you said, okay, I'm going to have a, a like whatever that year is that British kids do before you know college, college and university, right. right? You said, okay, I'm going to do that now. I have the money. I'm going to go up. I'm going to go down. Yep. Right, I'm going to fly. I'm going to screw it up. Okay. Interesting. Uh, okay. Right. Uh, there's a symmetry here, at least. <laughs> um, so, I, so I mean, so, so this was a kind of vacation year, of right. sorts. You come back, you think, you come back to New York, you think, okay, now I'm ready, I'm refreshed, I've hit my reset, let's do this thing. Um, but you didn't do this thing. No, I hadn't reset. Yeah. I think one of the, the tricks is, and, and you guys were a pretty good piece on it, um, is the idea that you feel like your brain is back in, in form, but it really isn't, and there's a momentum that you build in this industry, like there's a certain personal pace, which once you, if you pause off for too long, you kind of lose it. And it's really hard to self-assess that you don't have that back. But you think it was, it was a function mostly of effectively like losing the, the, that, that rhythm? I mean... I, I think it was a function of a lot of things. I think it was a function of uh, pain, um, loss of confidence, uh, not knowing where to start. So the ego correction of being, you know, thinking that you were in one place but you really weren't any longer. Yeah. Um, not having the discipline to sort of follow through. So I was in a double bath spot, I had a little extra resources, so I thought that that would sort of let me do things. And, and you also had a, a kind of a, a success behind you. So that's success behind me. Yeah. Um, sure. So which was more of a baggage at that point, actually than it became successful. When I actually got back out of it was when I decided just to roll my sleeves and sweat again and become full operator again. That's how I got So how did, how long did this, these years in the wilderness last? Uh, I think it was about three to four years before I really started adding value to the world again. Really? Yeah. And so now, I mean, in this time, you, you 
were in New York, you were trying to build companies? Is that what's going to, I mean, were you kind of... I started investing, um, which is really bad if you're an optimist. And, and, and an optimist with attention deficit disorder, I imagine. And without the ability to work, it's yeah. really common. Yeah. It was basically just blowing money away, so that was not successful. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized I wasn't successful, so I started trying to figure out how to get myself back into a successful frame of mind, uh, which wasn't successful either. So I was like, oh, I'm going to start, I'll open an investment, open the bar. I'm going to do a bar. Oh, so, so it was almost like you were kind of mimicking like, the moves before, though. Like, you were successful. I was mimicking the tapestry, not the actual moves. Like, the moves before were working hard, mm -hmm. you know, staying yeah. up all night, that kind of thing. The tapestry was also successful. I bought into the tapestry, and I bought the bargain and all that kind of stuff, but now even having the same mental discipline and rigor then, none of those things worked as well. So they were all um, sucks. They just, they did a benefit that they showed me how bad it was and that I could get my brain to speed up some because I was failing so miserably and the world was telling me I was a failure. But, but, but beyond that, I, I mean, you see people kind of failing for, for, for decades. You know, I, I have friends who have just been kind of like, oh, you're waiting for the breaking point and the breaking point never quite comes. You know what I mean? Where I feel like what, there, there has to be either an inner strength or an inner realization that says to you, okay, listen, sure. this is not working. I got to pull back. I got to pull the reins. Um, was there a, a, a moment of realization? What, what was it that, that really changed things? I think it was the, the world, right? So we're, we're really privileged in our industry that we fight against the universe. And we try to change the very nature of the world. Um, and it tells you very honestly if you're screwed or not. You end up in a corporate environment, it's so much easier to shadow your real impact. And money does the same thing. So when you're shielded by your own money, which is the trust fund baby issue, it's hard to really realize where you're failing. So it wasn't until I got those layers off myself and started to have the world tell me that I could not get enough people into a bar to drink, even when I put Mexican wrestlers down, I put girls out in the corner, and I did everything I could think of, it was still hard to make work, and that was because I just, you know, I couldn't make the hard choices, I couldn't make, I couldn't do the things that are tough that you need to do to make that work. Um, and I was just sort of an internalization of why. This is, this is what I could do in 20 minutes of my day and work really well, why can't I do it now? Obviously, I was failing, and the world is good at telling you that. Most other things in the world don't tell you that well, so. Well, well sure, but, but often people are not good at listening. I mean, what I'm asking, what I'm wondering about is, 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 is where, where was that moment where you, where you said, okay, I'm, I'm taking the 180 here, I'm, I'm shutting all of this down, I'm, I'm approaching this in an entirely different way? Uh, I don't know if there's an actual moment. I think it was, it was really just wearing yourself down to the point that you have to get towards some sort of bottom. Yeah. And what was this company? Uh, it's called Vidivi. Vidivi? Vidivi. Vidivi. What did Vidivi do? Uh, Vidivi was an early competitor to Brightcove. It was uh, contemporary to YouTube. It was trying to do uh, video compression at scale. Got it. And now, uh, you know, so you, suddenly you're, you're kind of back in the trenches, back with yep. face, right? So, you know. Awesome. It was fantastic, yes? yes? Totally awesome. All right, and so now how, how long were you doing this then? Like, it almost a kind of a rebirth. I, I, I mean, I'm sure like, that this would be like, like a kind of like a rocky kind of montage. Like music should be pumping, you know? Like, it's it's like that, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, like, like, like we should watch you kind of, you know, like doing jumping jacks and stuff. Oh, you guys can edit it. Uh, we will. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was amazing. It was, it was, for me personally, it was finding that I actually had a native skill to work in this industry. I still love this industry. I have that actual native passion. 
and being able to fight on problems again and actually work and not kind of be able to do things was uh, a huge moment for me. And, and what I ended up happening, at least the psychological feeling I had, was that there was this new Dane, and I felt the shadow of the old person with this sort of like gap period. And I could feel the skills that I had that I thought I didn't have slowly seep back in. It was almost as if I was recombining, right? Like I was getting the I best part. Dane is not but it was, it was, it was, yeah. it was really getting back to the power that make you something, and then um, using that as a foundation to even get stronger and have the addition of uh, humility and some other aspects which had been lacking for my personality. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, I think I ended up netting out pretty positively. Fantastic. Um, have you ever been to Japan? Yes. You like it? Yeah, I like Japan quite a bit. Um, okay, so you've been doing this for a while. <laughs> um, when do you finally then have the confidence to say, okay, I, I have both the self-discipline and the kind of this, this operational expertise, I've almost regained it to say, okay, I'm going to start out something on my own again. Uh, it, it, takes, uh, it takes time for that confidence. Um, and I think I, I, my suggestion to anyone who says they want to do a startup is just go do it because it's the best way to learn. So I sort of took that advice and continued to throw myself into more and more challenging situations. Uh, so even when I was working that company, I knew that it wasn't going to last, so I helped start another company, which is uh, another podcasting company. I stumbled into a kid named Anthony, who was the founder of Squarespace, which I eventually, I tried to buy him, but eventually caught him and let me be his CEO. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> an interesting couple chapters of years. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was, when you find what you do, you find what you like, it, it, it's uh, you know it's like sports. There's a zone like you get this energy. You know that this is what's meant, and you can really apply yourself full heart. Sure. I, I mean, and the thing is, it's one thing to say that for someone who hasn't founded 14 different dot coms, you know, like in the course of six months, right? I, I mean, so, so so this is so this really did was a, a process for you. And so now, coming to sum all, I I want to ask you first of all, even before the the kind of. Because I, I had the I had the sense I should explain. Part of Samal is is it's almost radical transparency. It's almost like Julian Assange is at the helm of HR. That's great. And so everyone knows what everyone else is making. That's awesome, Elliot. Everyone is putting the Dana zone. Um, it everyone knows how much equity each other has in the company. Right. I almost feel like that came before the company itself. So it did. It did. It did. Okay. We sat down as a group and wanted to try to create. You know, the best companies are those that inspire their structures. You know, uh, build assembly lines, uh, create twenty percent time off the team, change the way they work. And we've all been through. You know, that team is very experienced. So the first twenty folks have all done many companies before. So, so what, you actually you launched the company with twenty people. Uh, we launched the company with about ten in the early days. Got it. We built the team pretty quickly. So you, so you almost built this kind of like Jamestown charter kind of thing, right? Constitution. Yeah. Um, we took the corporate book, which when you assign yourself a, a normal class corporate class corporation, you get a book of rules that you don't see, and we basically voted that out and then we created our own guidelines. And we spent weeks, if not months, uh, debating how we were going to change the company's configuration to be more successful. To our strategy is culture, right? It's not making our plans, not making an environment really smart people thrive. So that's why we came up with the wacky stuff like open salaries and open equity. Mm -hmm. and 
very painful things to live with, but very effective, they seem. Yeah, I, I'm just curious, has anyone, like, how many of your friends do you know how much money they make? Does anyone know how much money their best friend makes? Wow, really? I, you know, I mean, part of it is, is the way power stays in power, right? It's through secrecy, and, right? It, and it's through effectively kind of creating this imaginary competition against yourself and others. But I, I'm curious to find out, this is something you built or you chartered with 10 people on board. And now you're, what, a 30% company? Mm -hmm. Has that changed at all? Has the dynamic changed, or has your vision of how you want it affected changed? Yeah, we have, we have an almost amended process that so we change things um, not against our core philosophy, transparency is the core philosophy. But there's definitely a lot of pressure. Uh, in the beginning, for instance, every time we hire a new person, we would send an email around the whole team saying, this is their compensation, this is their equity, do you want them to be an employer? Right? And social security. <laughs> this is the review, this is the team members who interviewed in the reviews. This oh, really? Okay, so it's higher, uh, higher slate on this person. Mm -hmm. uh, and people actually got very stressed by that because they were going through the full mental arc of, holy crap, is he really worth 95000 I don't know, you know, like, and it became too stressful. So what people have asked for now is um, a veto right so they, they can say no, and the information to exist and share they don't have to actually have it thrown at them every single time. I see. But but their name is still attached to salary and equity. To the dollar they make, to the equity they own. Got it. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, this is something that as new people sign on, so all, you know, they're aware of this culture coming in. Yes. The first day they start, they get the whole sheet in front of them. But there still must be, there's almost, I mean, it's something that sounds idyllic to me in the abstract, but but I can't imagine just the reality of it actually getting that cheap on the first day. That's, that's, kind of thing. that's yeah. the one thing that actually kills, right? Because when you start another company, you don't know what anyone else is making, right? Yeah. And you sit down, and someone else starts, and you notice they're actually good at negotiating. I'm really good at programming. So your mind goes, what are they making? Uh, am I making as much as them? And then who decides what they're making? Oh, it's my boss. So I'm going to kiss his ass endlessly to get a higher salary. When you start with us, you see what everybody makes, right? So who's asked you have to kiss to get one of them? The whole team, you have to perform, uh, right? So it becomes much more of a meritocracy. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, it depends on how you want to perform. I'm not uh -huh. sure. Um, it, it's easier to get from <laughs> one place to another because mm -hmm. you can see, all right, this guy has two more years of experience, he knows these different languages, I'm going to take that path and try to get there. And when I get yeah. there, there's very little competition. There's no way the organization say, you're not worth it, because you can point to the other person and say, no, this guy's making it, I think I'm delivering the same value, explain to me why you're not. Mm -hmm. The first conversation is rough. Um, because you have to explain why you made a lot of choices. So you have to sit down with somebody for an hour and say, the reason this person makes this or owns this is because they were here earlier, they took these risks, they did this. Um, but inversely, if you don't do that, it happens, right? Like, in my experience, in most companies, maybe I'm sloppy, but I've always left the payroll and printer. And everybody knows about it, but no one talks about it. So they're running around being like, God, do you hear Jane makes this much money? And they're all disgruntled. But in this environment, you can handle those nuclear bombs on your own timetable, right? Like, it's not when someone comes by to buy your company and all of a sudden the whole founders fled because they realize they don't own anything that the CEO lied about the cap table. Like, everybody knows everything, everybody deals with the issue of their own ego and their ownership and all that stuff up front, and once they're happy with it, it's done. I'm, I'm curious about the process itself, though. I'm applying for a job. I, I get accepted for a job. You make me an offer. Do I get to see that kind of a nameless table of salaries, or am I actually negotiating for a salary before I actually find out what the kind of the salaries are? Uh, so you see the people who interviewed you? I, so I see the salaries of the people who interviewed me. 
Yeah. You know, we don't do the whole, until you become a team member, you don't see the whole schedule. Mm -hmm. um, but you can see the peers that you've got to hang out with and hope that that gives you some sort of range what the organization thinks is of value. So we show you, okay, the guy who's got, hopefully, your respect is making this. This is why we're offering you this. And then we show how our, how our bands change, how you can get promoted.